0: To uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. What is up, everybody, and welcome to episode 65 of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are having a great start to your week. Or whenever you're choosing to listen, and I am extremely excited to be introducing this week's guest, Mrs. Farnoosh Torabi. So, Farnoosh is one of America's leading finance experts, and over the years, she's helped thousands of people master their money and use their wealth to live extraordinary lives. And she's had a career in the space that spanned everything from best-selling books to a primetime series on CNN to regular columns in the O and the Oprah Magazine around finance. She also has an award-winning podcast called So Money, which attracted millions of listeners alongside world-renowned guests such as Tony Robbins and Robert Kiyosaki and me. I was on her show earlier, so go check it out. I mean, she has such a wealth of knowledge around money and the mindsets and the strategies you need to take control of it so you feel empowered to use it to create a life you love. You know, I think money can be such an awkward conversation or it's an awkward topic of conversation, but it was so easy talking about it with News, just because we weren't just talking about the physical aspect of money. We were talking about the relationships with money and where they come from, how money can be used to keep us grounded, and where our money blocks come from, really, like like our own relationships and the way we think about money. Like, Where does that come from? And usually it comes from our childhood. And so going down memory lane to really discover that context was something we talked a lot about on this episode. We discovered the value of creating a financial fortress and specific things you can do to change your mindset around money so you can feel more empowered. I mean, I loved this episode so much. We don't bring on a lot of money experts in general, but I think our relationship with money is a direct correlation to our relationship with everything else. And I think that's the same. Our relationship with our relationships is almost like a a mirror for our relationships with ourselves, for our relationships with the other things in our life. So Although it is an awkward conversation, I love going down the rabbit hole because by seeing the parallels between money and my relationship with it, I was able to find sort of connections between my relationship with my career, my relationship with my relationships and find those parallels. I don't think money buys happiness, but it does buy choice. And it is a resource that creates opportunities and gives you more autonomy and control over your life. So I do think it's a topic worth your time and attention. And at least examining where our relationships come from with it, because by understanding the root of why we look at money the way we look at it, we can now create an abundance of energy, light, love that allows us to move forward and create the lives we do love and attract money in our life the way we want to. And so I loved this episode and it was a start point of an entirely new mindset for me and a set of experiences around this powerful resource that I'm excited to put into play. And I'm excited to hear how you guys love it too. So make sure to get in touch with me after the episode. Let me know what you like and didn't like. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Go ahead and join us on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen. Just come on in and join. And I'm excited. I'm really, really, really excited for this episode. It was a refreshing conversation with a new friend, and I'm excited to hear y'all's takeaways. So without further ado... Please enjoy the wonderful Mrs. Farnoosh Torabi. Yo, yo, yo! Welcome back to another episode of Stay Grounded. How are you, Farnoosh?
1: I'm doing well. We are recording on election day. So I just got back from the polls, very long lines here in Brooklyn at my Voting precinct. Is that what they call them? Voting sounds like. I think so. I'm not sure. Sounds like a bad place, but it's uh, a <laughs> the voting mecca here. And like I waited in line probably 45 minutes, but worth it. You know, doing my oh. civic duty.
0: Yeah, I was just uh, we were talking about this earlier, but I will be. I budgeted an hour and a half for my own personal voting today, and I hope that that's enough time because I do recognize these lines can get. Should
1: people- be. You might fill it up by because you'll run into people you know, start conversations. Oh, I noticed yeah. <laughs> so many people do that. it was sort of like a became a social experience and catching up um and, and like, it's like a good mood, it's a good vibe,
0: yeah, absolutely. well, now you just got me excited so this this is gonna be like a perfect primer for me to go out there um, anyway, super grateful to have you here. I was on your show, and I remember us chatting, and I remember. You being such a fun person to talk to that I couldn't, uh, couldn't wait to have you here. So
1: Thank you. Likewise.
0: I'm excited to dive in. So I already intro you to the audience so they all know your deepest, darkest secrets. So I'm going to start with a question that I personally have just after reading your story and after sort of learning more about you as a person. So you came from an immigrant background. You came to the United States a long time ago. And well, I
1: was born here.
0: Your parents came here. My
1: parents came here, yeah.
0: Sorry, I fact-checked myself on that. (laughs) Yes, Yes, your parents came here a long time ago. And you were raised in an immigrant household, which had different viewpoints around money. So I want to start there, because I think that there's a lot of lessons in general around the journey. How did your personal relationship with your parents growing up change the way you experienced gratitude and, or even just your ideas around money through the lens of gratitude, abundance, or even a lack of, you know, what was your relationship with money growing up in that household?
1: There were many aspects to the relationship. It was multifaceted. I think on the plus side, I think that I was raised to have a language around money. You know, we talked about money a lot. I knew that there was nothing to be afraid of. I, um, Experienced watching my parents talk about money in front of me, the good and the bad. And then I think my relationship with money was very real. It was very raw. You know, they really brought me into conversations around why we couldn't afford things, that, you know, dad's company is experiencing layoffs and what is that ultimately going to mean for us if he gets laid off. And so I think. My peers, my friends may not have been witness to some of those kinds of conversations, you know, because those are the sort of things that you don't tell kids because you don't want them to maybe get scared or you feel like they just won't be able to get it and it's going to create anxiety. But my parents, I think, raised me as an equal to them. And that meant introducing me and sharing the financial realities that they faced. But also, I would say it was a really, it was a proud relationship with money. You know, my parents, like as a lot of immigrants like came here with very little and, but had a lot of hopes and dreams and they worked really hard and and the part of the success that they, that they experienced was monetary success. And so whether it was like my dad got a raise and we were able to move into a bigger home and a better neighborhood, that was a real source of pride for us. And I got to see the connection between working hard, making the money and changing your life. And that was really powerful but on the maybe maybe not so great side of my relationship with money, I think I also did witness my parents fight about money. I witnessed having less than others, and I, and feeling sort of ashamed sometimes because we weren't as well off as some of the, uh, the other folks at in the community or at school, yeah. and that that was reflected in like little things, like the kinds of lunch you brought to school, you know, or uh, the kind of cars that your parents drove you up to uh to school. Did you take the bus? Did you have your own car? You know, and so these like sort of economic symbols and status symbols that we create for ourselves. Um yeah. I experienced that. And, you know, I think that it was just part of the process, you know, and I I've now as an adult, I have a very well rounded, I think, relationship with money and like a lot of context for the and knowing why I feel the way I do about money and the why I spend the way I do and the way I save the way I do. It's not a coincidence. It is very much because of the way I was raised.
0: When did you start getting the awareness around some of the lessons that you learned growing up and how that pertained to the ways that you experience, whether it's economic prosperity or or even just hardships through money? Because you said something really interesting around there was like because I I I totally empathize like and totally recognized the idea of pride, you know, like when you make a huge purchase because you worked really hard and you have pride. That is the feeling that money delivers. But I also see the other side that you experienced. So when did you start pinpointing these these moments?
1: I'm still pinpointing them. I would say it's a it's a recent development in my life. It's, it's a recent self reflection. Not super recent, I'd say in the last five years since I've really started to increase my earnings, accumulate assets, get married, have children. Like life is really happening for me right now. And with that comes a lot of reflection and a lot of trying to work through things like emotionally, but also tactfully and tangibly, maneuvering, you know, as a mother, as a breadwinner, as a business owner, as, you know, a daughter to aging parents I feel like money conversations or and reflections about like my financial life on my financial life are really coming at me and as a result of my work too talking to people about money I feel like you know on my podcast I've had the opportunity to hear from so many people about their financial backgrounds the way that they think about money their philosophies around money and it's forced me to sort of find those truths in my life. And I'm really grateful for that. But I like, I'm still learning, you know, I just the other month or so. So my last book is called When She Makes More and very personal book. It's about female breadwinners, but like how to really master the relationship that you're in. And when the book first came out in 2014, I would share that, you know, I'm in a marriage, I'm the breadwinner and guys, it was just an accident. Like I didn't look for this, you know? (laughs) I just married for love and whoops, I'm the breadwinner. And no, I realized like four years later, I was at an event and someone said, what's something that you've learned about yourself since writing the book? And I knew that question was going to come at me. So I spent a little bit of time before the event thinking about it. And I realized that I've been lying (laughs) to a lot of people and myself, not purposely, but I think I was not brave enough to really call my own actions out. And I think for me, the reality is, is that I am who I am in my financial life as the breadwinner, as somebody who really appreciates and wants to hold on to this Role as breadwinner because it really is who I am. It's who I want to be. It's it's the it's the role that I play where I feel safest in my life. Because all growing up, I knew I I did realize early on that money equals opportunity, power, control, autonomy, all of those things. Maybe it doesn't buy happiness. Well, I would argue that it does, (laughs) but it does buy you the opportunities that you want to feel like your best self, right? You know, like the experiences that you want, the agency that you need to leave a bad situation. A lot of times money, the lack of money holds us back from being able to speak up for ourselves because, you know, leave bad situations, i.e. bad jobs, bad marriages, bad relationships. And so very early on, I made that connection. And I think that has now led me to Place in my life where I'm the breadwinner. I love the role. I cherish the role. It's it feels very much me. I, I see uh, other relationships out there where she makes nothing or makes less, and I don't ever want that for me. Mm. I'm not saying that's wrong, but that is not who I am. I would feel completely out of character, and I'd feel like I'm not living the life I was supposed to live. I guess the the revelation or the truth that I discovered only years after writing a book about what female breadwinner is is that. It's not a coincidence who you end up being in your financial life, that there is a lot of context for it. There were patterns. Maybe you just didn't see them, but let's see them because until you recognize that you can't really enhance or change the life that you have.
0: Yeah. Brilliantly said, by the way, on that note, all the security that money buys, the feelings, the freedom, the power, when you don't have money, there's a certain air of helplessness. Sometimes maybe it's a lack of ownership or maybe it's tougher to see what you need to see. So how would you in that state where you don't have the resources, the money to think clearly, to really sort of look back and find those problems when you don't have the money, how do you actually go back and get reflective or curious about why you don't have it when that's a really painful thought to really have in the first place?
1: Well, I think that this is where you really need to lean into Philosophy, you know, and really hold on to hope, but also a belief, a very strong belief in yourself. You must have an unwavering belief in your ability to go out there and do what you want to do and do it well. And it may not be something that happens for you this year, it may be something that is 10 years from now, but you have to make a commitment like, I'm starting to make the change. And I think it also helps to tap into other people's stories. You know, I built my path. I engineered my life from a place of having less than I have today. Now I wasn't in destitute. I wasn't poor necessarily, but I was, I had less than a lot less than. And if you had told me, you know, 10 years ago that I would be where I am today, I would have, I would have said, how would I, how am I going to get there? How is that even possible? So I think we all have this innate kind of self-doubt and, but what helped me see the path was seeing others do it. Those who were ahead of me doing it and remembering that there's really nothing that differentiates us. You know, it's like we all come from very different backgrounds. We all have hardships. We all have adversity of all different scale and size and everyone's arguably, you know, challenged in their own ways, but ultimately you just have to believe that you can get there and get the solutions and the steps from other people who've been there and done that. And I know it sounds cliche, but don't think about the money, you know, think about what will make you happy, what will bring you fulfillment. I'm not going to say that the money's just going to show up, but it's better. It's, it's, I think, especially for people who Don't like to think about money a lot. Don't think about the money. Don't think about the money. Think about what it is that actually will drive you to keep working, to stay consistent, to to stick it out when it's really hard and people are telling you you can't make it because you need to have the grit and also the passion. I learned that recently too. You can't just have the passion. You have to have the grit. But what helps you have grit is first identifying the thing that is actually gonna make you so excited and happy that you're doing it. And that's going to be different for everybody. And sometimes you're not going to land on that right away. You have to do some of the dirty work or the, to make the mistakes or do yeah. stuff that you're like, oh, I don't actually like doing this. What a waste of time. No, actually it was it was part of the plan because you have to do the things you don't like to know what it is you like. You have to kiss a lot of frogs before you land your prince. That's mm. a terrible metaphor, but it <laughs> is the first thing that pops in my head. But to your question, I think that, It's a hard, it's hard. I'm not going to say like, oh, just follow your passion, work hard and find your people to support you. But that's got to be part of it. Those are essential. That's like very basic.
0: Foundational pieces.
1: It's very foundational. You know, you have to have a strategy and you have to be willing to retool that strategy on the go, on your feet. And I think that you have to be, I read a a quote the other day on Instagram, because that's where you get all your quotes now. (laughs) And it was like, I'm, I'm not, I'm devoted to the outcome, but not devoted to how I get there. You know, like I just, I know what I want. It doesn't have to happen in a certain way for me, but I know what my goal is. And I think that's important because it's, uh, there are certain things you just cannot control, but no one can change the things that you want and the way that
0: they make you feel
1: the way they make you feel. Right.
0: Yeah. And I have a curious question. What about money is it that makes us feel that sense of like, accomplishment? To me, like money can, but so can raising a beautiful family. So can getting in the best shape of your life. Like, What about money as just an energy source or whatever you want to call it, that source of, of like, whatever that is, money as a concept? Why do you think it makes us feel the way it makes us feel?
1: In, why does it make us feel accomplished? Why is this such a status symbol? Why is it something that we so want to achieve and accumulate? Well, money is power. people want power you know people also want the family and they want happiness, but power is really attractive to a lot of people, particularly men and women, but different kinds of power and I think that is something that in over history over time we've seen that play out is true. Money does lead to you accumulating power, power in the business world, in the political world, in your community, because it is a resource. It is an an unmatched resource with money. You can create opportunities. You can hire people. You can build lives. You can build cities and towns and businesses and rules of law. And I think you know that's something that isn't new to us it's been ingrained in us since the beginning of money which yeah. goes yeah. back to i don't know when long time before money there was bartering and you know there was other sources of exchange but it's a real source of pride because with money comes you can surround yourself with the things and the people and the sort of like stat, you you it's a status symbol right it's not i'm not saying it's it's right or it's worth aspiring to but i'm just saying that's kind of just our culture
0: yeah i remember a friend of mine shared a, like a joke about the the investment banker going to mexico on vacation seeing a local fisherman fish and he was like oh my god you're so good at fishing what if you did this and you can make 10 times more and then the fisherman was like all right what would i do with that and then the like, guy was like oh, then you take that and start a business And then you could run and make all this money. And then what would I do with that? And then, oh, you could do more. You could make scale even more. What would I do with that? And then the guy eventually got to the answer, which is, oh, you'd retire and just fish. And the fisherman was sitting there. He's like, I'm already there. So how do you, I guess, like when you think about that, right? This pursuit of power, this pursuit of money, how does that combine with the importance of presence?
1: It's such a good question. I wish I had a really good answer for it. I think you just have to really be clear on how money is meant to serve you. What, you want, what do you want money to do for you in your life? Or rather, what do you want to do with this money to bring you the fulfillment? What does fulfillment mean to you? Because it can feel like a rat race. You can always feel like you're not measuring up. There's always going to be someone with more money. There's yeah. always going to be somebody who's going to suggest a new idea, a new way to level up, a new way to maybe become more successful. And so it's hard but I think you need to be really clear and very strict about what it is that actually fulfills you. And there's so many things that have nothing to do with money, right? It's about your community, your involvement, your family, your um, experiences, day-to-day, month-to-month, year-over-year that certainly money can make things easier and make things a little bit more accessible. But yeah, to this fisherman's story point, it's, it can feel like very circuitous, like you're just this hamster on a wheel and very pointless. And at a certain point in your life, the next best commodity after money or next best resource rather is time, right? I think the older you get, I found that too. Like for me, like what's as important making money is having time to appreciate the wealth, right? To enjoy the wealth, like saying no to opportunities that could otherwise make me money because I just know the toll and tax it's going to take on my time, my enjoyment, my time with my family. Those are the, those are the measurements I make now to figure yeah. out whether I want to pursue a money-making thing. I will make less in a year because I've been able to buy back my time in return.
0: How does that make you feel?
1: It's the best. It is. It is true wealth. When you can say no to an opportunity because it doesn't either just sit right with you or you know that it's going to compromise other things that you value. That's really the math I think that people need to make. And I know not everybody has the luxury to do that. Sometimes you just got to like, I, in my twenties, I just, I said yes to everything. I wanted to, I mean, not everything, but I wanted to <laughs> make an honest days work, but like I was very busy and I didn't sleep and I sacrificed a lot to get ahead and, and accumulate. But I did it also knowing that this was not forever, right? That I wanted to do it so that I could arrive at a place of privilege to say no to things that I just didn't want to do. I want, I want to make money. I don't want to need to make money. I want to want to make money. I posted something of the other day, like I got to rearrange a work meeting so that I could you know, pick up my son from the bus stop on the first day of school. It's a big, kind of, you know, milestone for us as a family, yeah, okay. as a young family, and he's only four. And and it felt for me like such a a win, you know, and I felt so proud that I could do that for us. Wealth doesn't have to be a mansion. It can just be moving your schedule around without financial consequence to do something that you value a lot more.
0: How do you infuse that level of of gratitude or even just priority into your life when you don't have a lot?
1: I kept trying to remind myself growing up, well, growing up, I would say when I started working and really doing the grind and the hustle of New York, like to slow it down, you know, like life is happening around you, slow down, recognize it. The people that you surround yourself with are also very important in making sure that your values are grounded, that I'm not saying create an echo chamber for yourself, but hanging out with people who are supportive and I think also are in the same boat financially. You know, you don't want to be, if you are struggling, you know, surround yourself with other people who can empathize with that at the very least. Right. But at the same time will motivate you to keep going and and to, to build, you know, it's, Your social surroundings are very influential. Even the things that you consume online and on television and in the news and on social media, a lot of that can also subliminally impact our feelings about, are we going to get through what we need to get through? And are we going to actually, is is life going to get better? You know, like the world can be a scary place, but not if you're focused on the right things.
0: Why are you so passionate about helping people navigate their financial futures?
1: I see how much people light up when they know that they're going to make more this year or they found ways to save or that they can afford the things they didn't think they could afford. I feel like money, it's not the most important thing, but man, when you have more of it, it can change lives you know it can really change your life for the better and for some it means being able to give back more it means to be able to finally start that family or build that business and that i mean it's not the only thing that's going to get them there but man it's a lot easier when you have yeah. the money and it also money is a huge source of stress not the lack of money or even when you have it and you're not really sure if you're managing it right i mean it's 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 a huge source of stress and i think that for me to be able to step in and in some cases just reassure them of what they're doing is such a gift and they feel like a weight has been lifted. And I, and I think like it's for me, it's, it's the best work and it's the work that I feel the best I'm, I'm best suited to do. I couldn't help people with their nutrition plans or like remodeling their house. I can give you some suggestions, but for me, it just feels like money Because again, of my upbringing and like the language that I was given and the fluency that I have with it, I'm, it's, for me, it feels very comfortable doing what I do. It feels very natural to me. So I'm leaning into that.
0: Yeah. You're trusting, you're trusting the opportunities, the voice and the story, the upbringing, and it's all come beautifully together into the life you've created, which I think is phenomenal. With that, you, you said something really interesting around the idea of essentially building a mindset, which is what you just really covered, which is like changing your mindset, if you don't have a lot changing your mindset, how much of essentially changing your life is around mindset and how much of it is habit, and then how much of it is environment?
1: I think it's a it's a split, a triple split. You know it's 30 percent mind, 30 percent habit, 30 percent environment or 33 percent. You can't do it all with just the power of thinking and it can't just be your environment. It can't just be the strategy. I think that it has to, you have to be conscious of all of that. Yeah. That's the
0: short answer. It's a short answer. Short answer is keep it simple. Keep it simple. What I like about the simple process of what you just explained is that it's not as daunting to me. I thought it was really interesting. You know, a year ago, I was working full time and building my business and I was stressed. Now I'm doing exactly what I wanted to be doing a year later and I'm still stressed. And it's amazing how money can create that, that this, 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 this story, this rat race in your own mind. How do you break that cycle to where you're, you're always, even if you have all the answers, even like for some reason, I just feel like money to me, at least, I have to be stressed about it. Like, it's like, I have to think about it or I have to like, at least in my mind, there's a part of me that's like, how do I have more or what's going to happen if this happens? So like, how do, how would I challenge personally? Just how do I challenge my own relationship with that?
1: I'll tell you how I do it. Cause I, I think it's natural, first of all, to feel that way because money can feel like a scarce resource, right? And if you don't, if you're not mindful of it, some people can also be a little like superstitious about it, like it'll be taken away from me. And if I don't, it's, it's bad luck to do this because it'll get, you know, then I'll, I'll lose it. So there, there's a lot of like fear and scarcity mindset around money. And that is like, I I feel that I felt that in my life. I think what helps to combat that is to create almost like a fortress, a financial fortress around these evil thoughts, you know, like, and that's a metaphor for a savings account. Like, you know, (laughs) Think about worst case scenario, like you had to shutter your business for a year. I mean, it's not going to take you a year to rebuild, but like, let's say things are sometimes out of our control. There's a recession. There is who knows what. a a, A huge vendor goes out of business, and that creates a ricochet into your business. And like, I've seen it happen. People go bankrupt because they were promised all these orders and then the recession happened yeah. and they they got bank you know and so they didn't have cash flow and you know, you know the rest is history so what is like your biggest fear and what is the monetary amount of money that you think you you need to be able to work through that struggle without stress without having to work fast because that's time is money so what are your living expenses? What are your what's your overhead? And I mean, you're not going to live the life that you did, but like at the very basic minimal level, what's your health insurance because you can't go without health insurance? What is your rent? What is your food bill? What is your gas bill? And just putting that aside times 12 times 6 months to 12 months and just putting that away because I mean, that's, I have as much anxiety as the next person around money. I could have as much anxiety as the next person, but what helps me is knowing that I have money set aside for the apocalypse, okay? But that's not, hopefully like, that's just like one in a bazillion chance, but more realistically, it could be like a bad month or an unexpected health bill that I wasn't expecting to pay or, you know, there are millions of things that life happens and you have to afford it. So that helps, and you know, it's it's also about recognizing that maybe I have a scarcity mindset around money, and why is that?
0: Yeah, looking
1: at your hit, like James Altucher is a friend of mine, and he's a prolific writer, podcaster, entrepreneur, and he's like has battled with his own demons, you know. And I remember he told me something about. You know his daughter at the time was in high school and was a worrywart, and she was always worried and and had a lot of anxiety and over stuff that you know in hindsight, as his her dad was like, this is nothing to worry about. But it's hard to communicate that to someone who's like a teen,
0: a child. Um.
1: And so the exercise that he would do with her, which I highly recommend for anybody of any age of any stage, is the moment you're having anxiety again over your money, stop and look at the last year. Okay. And remember the last time you had that fear or that anxiety or whatever. And then what happened? What happened? You made more money. Your bills got paid. You figured it out. Things resolved. So we can't tell the future, but we can see the past. So look at your history. Look at your past. When things went south or when you had a fear of things going south, what then happened?
0: Okay. I have a question on that though. Let's say 2008 financial market crashes. It's not something that in my young career, I haven't been through like, in 2008 I was still in high school, so I didn't have to deal with the crash. But let's say now something like that happens again and I haven't been through it. So I don't know what that feels like to go through it and to think that I'll be okay. How do I manage my own emotional health and my own relationship with anxiety in a situation where I don't know how I'm going to essentially, like I don't know what's gonna happen.
1: Well, there are a few things you need to come to terms with and come to grips with in times like that. One is that you're not going to be able to control everything. So stop worrying about the things that are out of your control. You can't control the stock market. You can't control what government's going to decide to do. I mean, you can vote and that's great, but those, you know, your votes take time to to, to yeah. make, make an impact. So in the moment, you know, you can't control other people's actions, but what you can control is your ability to stay level-headed. I would do a lot of writing. I would do a lot of connecting with other people. You're not alone. I got laid off in 2009. And guess what? So did my mom. So did a lot of my coworkers. It was like the laid off club of the, like February <laughs> to March was like, every, like are you working? How, are you still, how do you still have a job? You know? So it's like finding levity in the sort of sadness and despair, because if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. But also, Raj, I think you have to give yourself permission to swim in those emotions like i 'm not saying don 't feel sad don 't ignore your anxiety no, like really get in tune to it, get close to it, and hopefully it will give you some peace you know I definitely I think that, like I, I definitely you know was sad for a while when I lost my job and i wasn 't sure when I was going to make money again. And I cried and I was sad and I, you know, but I started to remember and I started to write down all of the things that I was good at and that I could do. And I mean, I'm a pretty like roll up your sleeves, do whatever you got to do kind of person. And I was not going to be the kind of person who would be insistent on getting her old job back. You know, when times are tough, you do what you've got to do for me, if it meant like going and being a house cleaner or babysitting or doing something that was not of my academic rank, you know, or my professional rank, I don't care. It's an honest day's work. I have to make money and I'm going to do it. I'll go work at the Gap. I don't care. I'll fold sweaters if those jobs even existed, you know? So it's sort of like you have to let your ego out the door.
0: Yeah. Thanks for saying that, by the way. I'm sure I needed to hear that. And I'm sure a few other people might've
1: I hope we never get to that low point again in our lifetime, but you know, a recession happens every five to seven years, uh, yeah. uh, like a, a correction of, of, of some big size or, you know, a real, real pullback. So yeah. it's just also remember it's, it's part of the process. Just yeah. fasten your seatbelt. Hold on. You did it <laughs> like once. You'll do it again.
0: I love that. I love the fasten your seatbelt and hold on. It's what's interesting. Uh, I know we've talked a lot about money, and that's not what I initially planned, but I love that because it kind of just organically happened. But what I've realized in this conversation is that the same emotions I feel around money are like, I can find parallels. Yeah. Like my same emotions like that come from either a fear of, of commitment in certain parts of my life or a fear of change in other parts of my life or a fear of success. Or I mean, it all kind of like... And now there's like, when you think about the fear of money, it's like, the same fear just showing up in every single bucket it almost just puts on a different mask so you can't recognize it. How does that land with you and have you seen the same fears in your life with money show up in other parts of your life and has that helped or hurt
1: like on a very simple level you know there's they, we always say there's like two ways you can look at the world the world is abundant or the world is scarce yeah and if you believe if you're of the scarcity mindset or of the abundance mindset I think that will show up in a lot of ways in the way that you think about money, the way you think about your self-worth, the way you think about your relationships with people, a lot of ways. Yeah. And I I was raised with a lot of fear. Personally, my mother was as an immigrant, as a young mom, she was only 19 when she had me living in like a very foreign country to her, not speaking the language, raising a daughter, you know, in a very, um, blue collar sort of like cr- crimey neighborhood of Worcester, Massachusetts at the time where also it was the 80s. So it was like the, the era of kidnappings. At least, you know, that's what the news was obsessed with. And like kids faces on milk cartons. She was like, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> Is this Is supposed to be better than my country? I'm so confused. So she raised me with a, through, the, through the lens of fear. But I think that has shown up in the way sometimes when I examine life, relationships, my money, I've a, I've, I do feel like I have a heightened level of um, distrust in a lot of things. Like I don't, I think, I, I think it's going to turn into a memoir, frankly, because I don't think that it's like, I think it's a really big thing. Like I think I, it was such a huge force in my life, the way that I looked at everything. You know, I was always afraid. I was always second guessing. So then that plays into second guessing your ability to make money that plays into second guessing your ability to manage your relationship with people and your loved ones. And, you know, it's so all this to say, like, you're not crazy. Yeah, we all go through it. And it's rooted very much in our upbringing. So note to parents, like, don't screw up your kids because that is going to show up.
0: Once you realize it shows up. You start to kind of see it, right? It's like, it's it just bubbles up. You're like, oh my God, that explained everything. Yeah. Uh, How do you realize it for the first time?
1: You just have to be conscious of it. I mean, it's not rocket science, but you got to go down memory lane and start to really get honest with the experiences that you experienced. Yeah. And I think sometimes your memory morphs, right? Like you think that your childhood was a certain way, but then you have these recurring dreams and you can't get, you can't, you don't know why, like, or you have this like sort of delicate relationship with one of your relatives. Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's a sibling and you can't put your finger on it. But then you start thinking about your relationship with them growing up as a kid and what that was like. And so it ta- it takes self-reflection, it takes a lot of honesty, Um, you know, recognizing your role too in some of the memories and experiences that you had. And then seeing how they're showing up in your adult life, um, you don't know until you start to remember what life was like for you. Um, it's easy, too, to kind of shove those memories under the rug. You know, like I don't want to remember my yeah. grades five through nine. That was a terrible, like puber, puberty, like
0: yeah. explosive
1: years. Like I don't need to go back down memory lane. But maybe along those, maybe during those years, you know, it was very. Uh, transformative in terms of like what you learned from your parents or maybe you had a big move during those years we moved a lot between grades five and nine as it turns out and so those were like huge turning points for me in my life and the things that I came to learn and experience I'm realizing now how much of an impact they had on me
0: Honesty is like one of the hardest things.
1: And and, t- and like aging helps, you know, seriously, it does. Like it gives you a lot of perspective. I think one of the best parts of getting older for me has been realizing what is worth stressing over and what is not. And there's a lot more in the what's not worth stressing out category.
0: How do I accelerate some of those, some of those realizations?
1: I think it's trusting your elder peers, you know, and really taking their advice to heart. I, I remember starting mm-hmm. to do one thing, one practice that I started in my late twenties. Cause I, you know, working in news is very stressful, a lot of pressure, a lot of deadlines, a lot of terrible personalities. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's very easy to like lose your sense of grounding. And, you know, every day is vomit inducing. Like you just don't know, like who's going to blow up at you or what's going to happen with your schedule. It was extremely stressful for me between the ages of like 22 and 30. And a lot of it had to do with a lot of terrible people I was working with, a lot of demanding, like uncompromising, like rude people and not a lot, but enough where it was getting to my head. And I was having a hard time doing my work. So this is a little unrelated, but I remember just like realizing that I can't control other people's actions, but I can control my reaction to people. Mm. Right. So I just started to care less about the BS that was happening around me. And I also started not to take it personally. Like I was like, this person's blowing up at me, but it's not about me. They Mm. had a really crappy day and, and maybe like, they're taking it out on me, but it's because it's rooted in other things. It's like displaced anger. So I'm going to like give them the benefit of the doubt and I'm not going to like hold this against them. I'm not going to, you know, necessarily respect this person, but I'm going to not take it so personally. And, and I think, you know, it was my father who kind of, sh- who's older and has been there and done that. And he was like, you need to just start managing yourself yeah. more, better, yeah. You're, awesome. You got to manage your emotions. You got you to stop letting all these people bother you, you know? And, and so whether it's people who are bothering you or issues or things that you're nervous about, the future, like take those voices out of your head and at least realize that like you're just one person. It's not about you. Life will go on. Do the good work. Put your head down or raise your head up, whatever you want to do. But don't let these people get in your way. Don't let these, these thoughts cloud your judgment.
0: I love that you just said these people and then you went to these thoughts because yeah. almost like, like the thoughts are in my mind, at least I think of thoughts as people, like I'm fighting against them. So it's super helpful for me to just think about, you know, these thoughts. And I love the idea of, I've always believed in taking massive ownership. The second you begin to just take massive ownership, yeah. you give yourself the tools to just shift because now it's never reactive. You're always proactive. And right. It, being in the driver's seat just feels so powerful because now you're not the one that's being carpooled everywhere. You're the one who's actually turning the wheel. You're the one who's filling up the gas tank. You're the one who's cleaning the car. It's all on you. And I I think that that's the... And you said it so brilliantly in just how you navigated even your early career by shifting that. That one shift is so powerful. So kudos for being awesome.
1: Well... And I think the best compliment I got on that, I I mean, I wasn't like, it was a very subtle thing. I wasn't like, no one's gonna notice that you're like, you yourself are like calming the shit down. You know, (laughs) everybody calm down. But you're like, you're telling yourself, like, Farnouche, calm down, relax, like, breathe in one ear, out the other. If this person's telling you, you know. And what it really gifted me was unwavering focus. Like, I just had my eye on the prize. I need to get my work done. This is my goal, my short-term goal, my my short-term goals, my mid mid-term goals, long-term goals. Like, you know, and there's going to be like a lot of Zing. chaos around me, and like you know, Tasmanian devils swirling. Yeah. But like, <laughs> just stay the course. And I remember, like, four or five years into this practice, I feel like I got a little bit of a Buddhist monk in me. Like through the newsroom, like I was like this source of like calm. And people loved working with me because I was just like, "It's going to be okay," you know. Yeah. And I would I went to this new job and I had a really a crazy overnight shift. I was working from like three in the morning till ten a.m. at the news desk, and it was, you know, it was in some ways the best time to work because not not a lot of news happens during those hours, but around eight nine things do get a little, you know, heated. Like the yeah. stock market opens, people are at work. Like the world's awake, and so, well, at least the the U. I. United States is awake, and you know, there'd be some fires along the way or some breaking news and we had to scramble and write stuff and get on camera. And getting nervous and worked up does not help you in those situations. You know, it's only going to stifle your ability to produce well. So I was always like, okay, got it. You know, work, focus, tune out, do your thing, produce. And I remember this one younger woman was like looking at me like, how come she's not peeing her pants? Like, I don't understand. You know, there's a, there's an earthquake and a tsunami and like, this is big news. And you know, you're, but I'm like, not out out of disrespect for the calamity that's happening in the world, but like, I got to get my work done. And if I start to like worry about what my boss is going to think, and it's just, you know, like, just get it done, be kind. Cause that was the other thing. When, when the stakes get high and when there's alarming a heightened level of alarm in any working condition, and any working environment, it's very easy to stop, to stop being nice to people, to get rude and get short with people. And that was always like important to me. Like, I want to talk with respectfully to, to this person and and like, give them the benefit of the doubt, be kind. And I think that was like a refreshing thing in the newsroom at four o'clock in the morning sometimes. And everyone's even tired too, to be there. Yeah. And she was like, wow, how do you, do- like, I'm so like, how are you not what, how are you doing this? I'm so like, she, she was trying to look for advice. And I was like, let me just tell you some things just aren't worth fretting over and you're going to get your work done, but you can still do it with, with grace. strength and with grace. And, you know, and, and it's not, I'm not saying it's all going to work out, but what what else do we have?
0: Pressure either crushes rocks or makes diamonds. And I think that's a choice. You get to choose the, mold you want to take that the world puts on you. I think that's right. awesome. I, I love that. Farnoosh, you are amazing. I just want oh, to thank you thank again. You. Thank you again that's, for being here. Uh, guys, go. Don't just learn from Farnoosh. Clearly, if <laughs> it's awesome. So
1: just, come on in. Just, come on just, in. I got go, a lot.
0: Just go yeah, to just, Farnoosh. I, She's got an amazing podcast. I'm partially biased towards this one that she did with this awesome dude named Raj. Uh, on Good So line. Money. So go check that out. She's got an amazing website, Farnoosh.tv. She's all over social and we'll make all these links available. But Farnoosh, I have one last question for you. All um, right. And she- uh, in the midst of everything you've experienced, all the um, the upswings, the downswings, even the progressions and sometimes detours in your career, how do you stay grounded?
1: My husband keeps me very grounded. He is the yin to my yang. And people have even said and noticed like, thank God for your husband, because you would just be up in the clouds all day. And I think that he's a really true and honest and caring and loving, open person. And I think like, he's the first person I want to tell anything to. So it's, it's, for me, it's wonderful to have like a safe place, right. To go and like, talk about what's bothering me or my insecurities and I know that I'm not going to be judged and he's going to, you know, be honest with me and not just try to make me feel better and that knowing I have that resource is like hugely impactful. It's what keeps me grounded and I'm very fortunate. I didn't necessarily have a prescription for like how to find the right spouse or how to find the right partner. That is one thing that I think my parents did not model for me necessarily. So I think the I don't know I mean I, I I'm very lucky because I know it's it doesn't work out for everybody and it's one of those paths that I feel like there's no um there's no right way to find like your you know fall in love great but like there's more to it than that so I feel really lucky.
0: Oh my gosh well I feel really good just after this conversation Farnush again thank you so much for just showing up the way you did and for inspiring illuminating paths that I Personally, I'm now anticipating and looking forward to dealing with in my life, but I know that everyone listening also is taking a lot from. So thank you again for being here.
1: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.
0: Absolutely. So everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your friend, Farnoosh. And from us, Stay Grounded. We will chat soon.